Christmas edition of the Brisbane Football Review. It's James Scott and Adam here, and, well, we're not exactly feeling merry, mostly just hot, sweaty, and uncomfortable, and that's got nothing to do with the A-League results on Friday night. Adam, how are you? Oh, I'm good, James. How are you, Scott? Good. The air conditioning is fantastic with some of you, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. Yeah, I've been, uh, on a day like this. Yeah, I've been having to work downstairs today because it's just been that hot up here, but obviously, you know, first world problems to deal with. Absolutely, I will. I mean, yeah, it happens. First world problems, what we live with. Exactly. All right, so let's get into the show. Uh, first of all, start off with the plugs. You're listening to us on podcast, Wooshka, iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn. You may be listening to us on Thursday on uh, Football Nation Radio. And um, uh, yeah, if you have any comments, questions, you can always email Brisbane Football Review at gmail.com. We've got a listener contribution for today. Uh, Facebook, The Raw Review, we're still working on uh, changing that to Brisbane Football Review with Mr. Zuckerberg. And Twitter, at BNE Football, and we're a Podular Media production. I think that's everything covered, right, Scott? I think so. We'll work on that um, name change in the next decade, perhaps. Exactly. You might agree to it in the new decade. I think no, Mr. Zuckerberg might have some more pressing problems. You can't keep, Scott. The, the What's that? Only a few, don't promise things you can't keep. The new decade's only a few weeks away. The key word in that sentence was might. It might happen. <laughs> yes, the other problem with that as well, we should also mention, is the fact that, well, are we still going to be doing this this time next decade? That's a good question. We'll have to wait and see. Anyway, Friday night, Suncorp Stadium, Brisbane Raw played their first ever match against Western United, and uh, that was not fun, was it? No, it was not really fun, was it? I mean, it was a... It was a game where the Raw had plenty of possession and territory, but did very little with it. And Western United looked quite comfortable. They got the early goal so through Diamante setting up Connor Payne on the far post. And they looked really comfortable for the majority of the game. And it's one of those games where the Raw could have played for another five hours and probably wouldn't have scored because it, there wasn't a lot there. It, w- it was very, very similar to some of the experiences I've had as an Arsenal fan, trying to watch them just break down teams that have said, no, you're not scoring today. Actually, close to home, actually reminds me of, um, of Brisbane Raw games at Suncorp Stadium circa 2008-2009 where they would just dominate but just didn't look like scoring. And um, it's, the one thing is, is, that, is that, you know, the build-up was good. You know, the creativity to a point was, okay, there's just no polished finish in the final third. It's, it's just at the moment, they look like an attacking group that are bereft of ideas other than, you know, if, it's a, if plan A doesn't work, plan B is, oh, I don't know. All right, well, let's hear what the uh, uh, what the coach, I, sorry, uh, the coach, Robbie Fowler, had to say after the match. Um, look, I, th- I think what I will say is, um, you know, you give them a little bit of credit, you know, for the for the experience they showed and, you know, getting everyone behind the ball. Yeah, we did have a lot of possession. You know, we, we did, stats-wise, I think, I thought we were very good. Uh, again, we, we've, we've lost the two sucker punches. Um, we have probably dominated the game in terms of possession, chances created, corners, everything. Um, but you know, we, we keep saying to lads, it's, it's a learning curve when you're when you're playing against teams. Like you, you, you need to 
you need to show a little bit more quality in the final third. That, that is probably the only thing that we're lacking. Um, can we get Of course we can. And that was obviously a very disappointed Robbie Fowler there uh, talking after the match. Adam, bit, big surprise uh, starting off. Robin Akbari comes into the starting lineup. Look, I didn't think it was a surprise. Like, he's obviously been in good form, especially in the youth league and whatnot. What did surprise me about that is where, where they played him. He's been no more of you now attacking midfielder, sort of you now more attacking player. But to play him in that number six role next to um, Aidan O'Neill, that's a surprise. But surprisingly as well, he actually did a pretty good job. I thought so as well. Like, he, he was very disciplined with his position. He was asked to stay quite central, I thought, and mostly just kind of play for lack of a better phrase, a puppet master trying to just get the ball around. It just, it seems like the ball movement was a little bit slow and they just didn't quite have that confidence to really break at speed. Yeah, the, the ball movement was a bit slow. We might get to a bit later on. There was a bit of a lack of quality and imagination in the front third in terms of a bit of creativity missing. But with Akbari, I think we all thought there would be a change to the side. I'm not sure we thought that he would be the player who would come in. We all, I think we all talked about George Mills potentially a week ago might come into the frame, but it was Framid Akbari and he did quite well in that role. He added a bit of energy to the side and it released Stefan Mork to play a little bit further forward, but still playing the same role he was playing previously, moving around the field to shut players down. But it, it, when he did that, it created a gap behind him and having Ramat there to fill that gap, it did help shore things up a bit for the raw, but creativity just wasn't there. And that's not necessarily Ramat's fault, it's players ahead of him. Yeah, no, also as well, it, it doesn't help. It just, it just again, once again, just shows that, you know, when, when teams just just play pretty much, you know, as we call park the bus football, uh, the Raw just struggled to, to do anything much. And like I said, if it's the second week row, they dominated possession, but, you know, very little, or in this case, nothing to show for it. I've got two thoughts on that. First of all, it's a byproduct of conceding so early. And I do want to give plenty of credit for, to Alessandro Diamanti for what was an inch-perfect ball to set up Connor Payne for that opener. But also, it's a case of... You know, for all the complaints about Western United not necessarily playing the prettiest football, it was effective. You know, style points are great, but points on the ladder are really what you want at this time of year. It was effective, and Alisson and Diamante was what was missing for the Raw on Friday night. They just didn't have that player to unlock a, a packed defence in, in around that front third. There was plenty of opportunities for players to do that. It just didn't happen, and having the most creative outlet, Jay O'Shea, move from a central role out to the left particularly in the first half, that didn't really help his game in terms of being able to create opportunities from, the, from a wide area. I think he's better in a central role. So they solved one one problem, if you like, with the um, with the uh, control in midfield. But moving Jay O'Shea out to the wide, to the wide left, I don't think it helped the creativity of the side. No, I think it did cost him a little bit of width as well. I think right there is, it was a difference. Is that you know that you, know, you have Alessandro Diamanti there that you know that, that creative playmaker that. As you said, unlocks the unlocks you know that, that static defence you know and and then that's the difference that's the one thing that the raw has lacked you know for I guess for a number of years now that they just and, and there seems to be a repeat effort that every single time that sides you know especially especially the lesser teams like you now we can always see we always see they always see the matchup you now with the Melbourne victories of the world you know those that play creative you know football at Sydney FC to a certain point other than last week. But it's the signs like, say, Newcastle Jets, for example. They, they, they seem to always play that, you know, let's put you know, nine men behind the ball. They just seem to struggle to do anything. And this has just been, it's just like a constant pattern. I think, you know, the, the recruitment shopping list needs to come down with, you know, we need a creative, um, they need a creative um, playmaker. 
Well, it's funny you should mention that. Fowler was actually asked about that in his post-game press conference, so let's hear what he had to say on that now. Look, we, we've got good players. Could we do a little bit better? Of course, you know, we really can. Um, you know, I think it's plainly obvious to see when, you know, when you are, you know, dominating teams, you know, you, you probably need someone who's probably going to do a little bit more, someone who's going to, you know, open up a defence, you know, in particular when they're, you know, when they're getting so many men behind the ball, you need a little bit of class and a little bit of guile. Um, you know, we're probably lacking that, you know, and it is, I think it is just that, but, you know, it's, it's up to us to address that. Um, can we bring someone in? You know, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss it and we'll talk about it. All right, so that was Robbie Fowler there, and he talks about how they just haven't quite got that, that side set up, and I know I've been saying for the past two months, you know, you don't really want to panic, you know, it's still too early, it's still too early, but I'm starting to get to that point now, I'm like, who's going to be the person to actually step up and take control of the game? Because it should be a J.O. shape, but it seems like he's trying to do it all on his own. Yeah, look, um, that's the thing. Yes, and I think the hopes are that J.O. Shea is, is that playmaker. I think it, there's enough signs around preseason and, 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 these, and these first few games that that these is, but he hasn't really been able to seconder it. It's either, either playing out position or just being completely shut down by, you know, by a good, good tough central defence, but... But yeah, look, that, that's the I guess the hope at the moment is that J. O'Shea that he does become the playmaker that the club really needs. Yeah, you mentioned you're almost at that point, James. I am at that point because J. O'Shea, yes, he's he's good at that role. I think going into the weekend, he was the leading chance creator in the whole whole competition. But we're going to go talk about later on in, in the show about uh, the raw team of the decade, some great players and teams of the past. All those teams have multiple creative playmaking outlets. You think about. Yes, Thomas Bruce, but at one point Matt Mackay was that. Jimmy Petrados, Enrique at times. There were others as well. This team really only has Joe O'Shea in terms of that creative outlet. I mean, I'm not sure who you'd say was the second most creative player on the field at the weekend. What's Scott Neville with a whole bunch of crosses being put in towards the far post, perhaps? I mean, there wasn't a lot there outside of what Joe O'Shea was offering. Rabak Bari oh. comes to mind. Rabak Bari is the other one. You're right. Yeah, but again, he's playing a different role than he normally comes to play. And also on that as well, you know, he, he, Stephen Mork is one of those players who probably should be working as a creative outlet, but I'm not sure he's actually quite capable of doing that at the moment because it seems like he's still struggling to find his role in the squad. And it's so one thing I was saying to my friend who I was sitting with on Friday night, the big thing that really jumps out for me is the fact that Aidan O'Neill and Stephen Mork are essentially the same player. Like, it seems like you've got two guys to do the one role. And it's a little bit like the Matt Mackay, Joe Coletti problem that the Raw had a f- uh, couple of years ago where you've got two guys who are essentially the same sort of midfielder and they wind up cancelling each other out. Now, obviously, uh, Akbari came in to try and provide something different to Stefan Moore, but it is that same sort of problem where Moore was signed on a four-year contract last year. I want to see more from him. Yeah, no, exactly. I absolutely agree that, you know, I had no Neil and Stefan Moore. It's almost like, yeah, like two individually, two very, very talented players, but together and as far as team cohesion and balance, it's more every, as every week goes by, it's just more and more a case of I don't think he can play one or the other. He can't play both. It's got to be one or the other. It's just it's just, it's just one of these unfortunate situations where you've got two players that you know on paper are very, very good, but for a team, I, honestly at the moment, I'd rather see a George Mills or a Jacob Pepper, you know, partner Ramon Akbari. If that's where he can stay in that defensive midfield role. And either, either have Aiden or O'Neill or, or Stephen Walker. I, I just cannot see both at the moment. It just, it, for me, it just doesn't work. And we've now seen nine games that. Exactly. All right. Well, look, look, we feel also... I do think he does suit. I think he's 
does quite a good job linking the defence and the midfield in terms of when you're playing out from the back, which obviously the Royals tend to do a lot this year, he's really good at picking the ball up from the defender and playing the ball forward to more attacking midfields. I think he's quite good in that role. I think Stefan Mork's role seems to be more in just relation to putting pressure on on opposition players, like closing players down without the ball. I'm not quite sure exactly what his role is in terms of in possession. Probably get forward and create space and maybe get on the end of something. But Aiden O'Neill does a very good job for mine in terms of starting the attacks for the almost the way Luke Bratton and Eric Pardlew did in days gone by. And that is the sort of play that they are probably needing a little bit more from as well. And I would also say with Mork, if nothing else, he's got plenty of energy. It's like a little terrier running around there sometimes. But anyway, we probably should keep moving because I do want to touch on very quickly the Bessar Borussia goal just before half time, where it seems like, well, I'm going to be honest, 95% of the stadium seemed to forget what the offside rule was. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear that it was onside. I mean, it's quite it's quite funny, really, because not only, not only did the majority of the stadium not probably not know what the rule was, it seemed like the, um, the VAR boot didn't really know what the rule was. So they were checking that for a fairly long period of time for something that seemed quite obvious. He was behind the player who crossed the ball to him, which means he's onside, which should leave it at that, really. And it was good to see him back in Brisbane. Probably would have preferred he didn't score the goal, but it was nice to see him back. Yeah, no, that was... Um, you want, you'll know sort of why Bessar Bridge was the, the, um, the, the league's leading goal scorer. That's the reason why. That, that, was, that was just great instinct. You know, and then almost his reaction after scoring the, the whole... Yeah, our prices. He's looking around going, are you kidding me? Why are you checking that? And look, I said in that, I think, you know, when you've got, like, you're right. I think we, we should watch it live, especially if you watch it at different angles. You're thinking, oh, he's on my side. But, you know, like I said, the technology proved, proved right. He was on side, on side by, you know, a decent margin too. So, as I said, you know, good on him for scoring, for scoring a goal. It was a, it was a very, very well-timed, you know, run. And, uh, and yeah, just overall, a good, a good 10 goal. Pretty much broke the hearts for all. Sorry, and, that's the good thing from the vantage point that we have up on level five. It was very, very clear. You could see straight across the line there. It was very clearly onside. It was pretty pretty clear that what had happened. Yeah. Well, that's actually a perfect setup for me, Scott, because where I was in uh, 3 4 it was pretty obvious he was a mile onside as well, as was, I forget who was uh, made the breakdown the right to set him up as well, because... Would have been Calva. Yeah. Yeah, Calvert, he was a mile on side. Absolutely no dramas with that. And also, the funny thing, I thought watching it on the big screen, I'm pretty sure that offside line that they were trying to draw uh, with the football, I'm pretty sure that wasn't straight and still had Borussia on side. So make of that what you will. Yeah, no, look. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes you need to use technology to prove, to prove the case. Definitely. All right, now, after the match, the drama didn't stop and... There was a little bit of uh, fire from the roar as well, but that was from the form of our CEO, David Pure, a podcast guest, and we hope still a podcast guest after we touch on this. Uh, that would be uh, cool. Yeah, there was a little bit of a blow-up with uh, Mark Rudin after the game because apparently Rudin was a little bit annoyed that uh, Robbie Fowler didn't shake his hand and Robbie Fowler decided not to wait around while Rudin was going and uh, celebrating with his players. Scott, did I get that right? Yeah, that sounds about right. To me, this is much ado about nothing. It really is. I mean, look, it's one of these things. Just, I can't believe it's as big a story as it is. I mean, look, I mean, Mark Rudin may, probably makes a good point about potentially being under pressure. Robbie Fowler counts with a really good point. You should shake hands with your opponent before you go off and celebrate. We should just move on. I can't believe the FFA are actually investigating this, as they say they're going to. I mean, what else do you need to investigate, James? You just laid out all the facts as clear as you need. They were meant to shake hands. They didn't shake hands. Mark Rudin and David Perret said something to each other and we should all just move on. 
the other thing about it is that, you know, I think in the reason why this has become such a big issue and whatnot is simply because the game is so drab and dreary that, you know what, it actually is probably the, the one highlight that came out of the night as far as you know, from an interest point of view. This was the, this big feud, you know, that, that blew up over. Look, at the end of the day, you know, I think, um, like I said, Robbie Fowler had the point. He's not going to stick around waiting for, um, for you know, Mark Redden to go congratulate all his play and carry on, then then go shake his hand. Look, I'm pretty sure wherever it is, with football across the world, the unwritten rule etiquette is that when full-time whistle blows, the two managers or coaches come across, they shake their hand, shake each other's hands, so you know, the assistants want to... And Adam, I think he's out there for a second. I don't think for an expansion club is great, but, but yeah, it's like... Yeah, at the end of the day, this is just blown up. I know it might be personal animosity between Michael Dan and Dave Pure. I, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, look, at the end of the day, yeah, it's, it was a you know, mountain of a molehill. Came out what was a pretty dreary Friday night game, to be honest. Just think we're talking yeah. about Jay, um, Robbie Fowler not sticking around after the game. Neither, neither Adam or myself stuck around up in the press room to see this either because we were pretty quick down to the to the press conference room at full time. So we didn't, I didn't even see this. I didn't even know it happened until... The question was asked by one of the, one of the other journalists in the first press conference to Mark Rune. I had no idea this had happened. You guys were headed out towards that. I was honestly having my cold and flu tablet starting to wear off. So I think by the time the whistle was the whistle had already blown, I was already halfway up the stand uh, heading out the gate. It was just it was one of those games. Like I totally get why the rule were frustrated. I was frustrated. Everyone around me was frustrated. It was one of those games that just had you wanting to bang your head against a wall. Unfortunately, it didn't go the Raw's way. And, look, it, it just it just sucks. You know, as a fan, it's not what you want to see, but it is what it is to steal a line from a coach from a different sport. Though, funny enough, as, as we sort of, um, sort of put in our, our post-game show on Friday night, obviously there were two very, very different narratives that um, that came out. You know, from, like, is there so two sides of every story, you know, Mark Rodan had his point of view. Roy Fowler had his point of view. But then, you know, the funny thing is that, you know, on Saturday afternoon when Fox, when Fox Sports actually released the footage of that, uh, it actually painted a very, very different story. And it probably doesn't put Mark Rodan in a very, very good light. Well, my only point about that as well is I watched the KO uh, full broadcast replay of the game. The whole handshake kerfuffle took place over the space of 55 seconds. From the final whistle to when Mark Rudan was looking around for Fowler, that took place over 55 seconds. It was 22 seconds, I think, from when Fowler, uh, from the full-time whistle to when Fowler looked around and went, okay, well, he's clearly not coming over here. I'm going down the tunnel. To And then another 30-odd seconds for Rudan to go, oh, where's Robbie? I'm back here at halfway. What's going on? So, look, it's not a great thing, but, look, it'll make the next meeting a little bit more interesting, I think. Maybe. We'll see. Um I should, also, I should also point out, uh, we're not going to play the clips from the press conference from uh, Fowler and Rudan over that. To hear those, you can go to our post-game uh, show available on Facebook. It uh, should, should have been posted Friday night around about 10 o'clock. Yep, that's right. Okay, so you can go and listen to that. Um, that's going to be episode one of the Brisbane Football Review. We would love to keep talking about this, but we actually do need to take a quick break. And uh, we'll be back right after this. You're listening to the Brisbane Football Review. We'll be back after this. And welcome back to the Brisbane Football Review's pre-Christmas Super Merry edition. It's James Scott and Adam here with you. Uh, well, we're all comfortable in our own houses doing our 
second attempt at a Skype recording. So, guys, I think we're doing all right so far. Now, because we haven't got a Raw A-League game to preview this weekend, we're going to keep talking about the squad. And I want to lead off with this uh, quote from Andy Harper about how well, what he thinks on the Raw's recruitment. To see it, Brisbane Raw absolutely torn apart by mm. Sydney FC last night. Sydney FC, well, they're head and shoulders above the competition. That They're making it known that they are anyway. But does this reflect, well, what does this say about Robbie Fowler and his coaching ability? We know what he was like as a player. Yeah. But in terms of coaching. Well, I've seen instances this week when, as a coach, Robbie's been able to intervene in a game and do a good job. Mm. So my question at the moment is about, isn't about how the team's going on game day. But... but what seems to be emerging is an underestimation of what's required, recruitment-wise, to win this competition. Mm. Now, I'm not sure, I have, not in, I have no insight, I'm not privy to the budgetary situation at Brisbane. I don't know if he's been given a carte blanche to compete you know, at the yeah, top of the salary cap. I don't know any of that. I'm just looking at a Sydney team which has got players out of Serbian World Cup teams yeah. and Bundesliga mm. and blah, 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 and a Brisbane team which is recruited from leagues lower than that. Mm. Evidently lower than that, which is not a criticism on individual players, but on mass, it looks to me, at the moment, it seems as though there's been an underestimation mm. as to what is required to match teams like Sydney. Now, um, is it a work in progress at Brisbane? Only time will tell. Yeah, definitely yeah. Are there budgetary constraints yeah. behind the scenes which have said, Robbie, is, you know, this Sydney might be spending spend. up here? This yeah. is, these are all, this is all grist for the mill. But that wasn't a heavyweight fight on the weekend. No. Yeah, that was a mixed weight division and Sydney just had their way with them. Do you feel like they're a bit under pressure, Boz? I don't think they're under pressure. Um, look, I, I just think that they let themselves down big style. Uh, it was like a training run in the first half of Sydney FC. Um, and basically, if you want to put it in, like Harp said, in terms of a heavyweight fight, they didn't lay a glove on them. And the frustrating thing for me, and it must be for Robbie Fowler and his staff, is that I saw them two weeks ago against Melbourne City, who were absolutely flying. Oh, what a game Not only that against was. them, but they were flying in the competition yeah. and come back amazingly and win 4 3. Then they put an insipid performance against Wellington. Then they come back again and a decent performance against Central Coast. Yesterday was poor, so this inconsistency needs to be sorted out. That is down to the players, okay? They need to know, regardless of what's going to go on, you need to go out there and you need to compete, you need to show passion, and you need to fight. Forget about tactics and everything else. I mean, Gerd Verbate summed it up really well last week. Forget about anything else if you haven't got those three ingredients, first and foremost. And that didn't happen last night. That was embarrassing, that first half. All right, so that was Andy Harper there. And I want to go initially, because Scott, you're the one that brought this quote up. I want to go to you on this. What was your first thought on uh, what Harper has to say? I think he made some good points, really, didn't he, in terms of the fact that the recruitment is... Um, it's not that it's necessarily bad recruitment. It's just it's it's of a particular type. And you look at some of the... Where the players from other clubs come from, come from, it seems to be from a higher level. So you look at Sydney FC, for example. They've got LaFondra from a level... Probably... A, well, he was probably a lower Premier League, probably championship, we'll say, centre forward. Look at, and that's probably a, a league and a half ahead of where the Raw picked their players from. You look at Ninkovic and Baum Johan, they're players of pretty high quality. And that's, that's I think, the difference in terms of the Raw are very workmanlike in what they have. They've got some good players that are workmanlike and do a good job. It's just that final bit of quality in the front third is missing. I think that's something they might need to look at. Yeah, I think, I think and David, are we really sort of shocked by. Robbie Fowler's recruitment. Like at the end of the day, new coach. You know, despite the fact that you know that he's obviously got his links with Liverpool and whatnot, that he's always going to go with what he knows. Now it's always going to be English lower league players. So it's it's always the case that this is what what we knew was going to happen. I think the thing is that what he's finding out, you know, ten rounds into the new season, is that 
that's not enough. That the, the A League is a bit more is a bit more sort of uh, I guess uh, quality than uh, playing League Two players and getting the job done that workman likewise. I think that's the first lesson. He, he pretty much admitted to as much that you know trying to balance the salary cap and trying to balance. So I guess the A League way has not all been as he um, as he expected. I think this is sort of the, some results, but it's a, yeah, it's not the end of the world. But yeah, I think he's caught short of it. I think that what big thing that it comes down to is the fact that the A-League has gotten a lot better since he was a player here. I think overall, the standard has continued to grow, largely because of the pace set by Sydney FC since the Raw uh, dropped off. And it's just a case of the fact, it's just a case of now, yeah, you've got Milos Ninkovic, who, by the way, was watching some uh, highlights from the 2010 World Cup. You know who uh, didn't close down Brett Holman for that goal against Serbia? It was Ninkovic. Well, there you go. It's interesting, though, because when you think back to Robbie Fowler's time in the A-League with North Queensland Fury and Perth Glory, there were a lot of players who were from the English Solar Leagues in both of those sides. So maybe he's thought, OK, that's what worked back then in 2010 when he was last playing in the A-League. That, that still works now. I don't think that's the case. I think, yeah, there's some good examples from that from around that level. Shane Smeltz is a good example. There's others as well. But I think the league has gone beyond players from that League two, League 1, League 2 type of type of area. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not a mockery of his point of saying that he watched the A League because if he had watched the A League between the time he left uh, Perth Glory to when he returned, that he would know that you know the standard players such as you know Ninkovic or Diego Castro and whatnot, you know, that they've really sort of advanced the league. So I don't blame him for trying, but I think at, the, at this point, I think it has been the recruitment has been a bit sort of under compared to where where the raw need to be. It's a very workmanlike side rather than having that one or two players that provide the X factor, which I think the Raw are missing at the moment. Yeah, they're absolutely missing that X factor. We talked about it in segment one, obviously. You know, you need someone other than Jay O'Shea to create the chances, and they're still looking for that person. Maybe it's George Mells. The good news is, because it is December 16th when we're recording this, the uh, transfer window is going to be opening in a couple of weeks, so there are plenty of... Like, there is still the ability to address those deficiencies in the squad. It might mean you've got to move on from one of the players that Fowler brought in early, but... I do think that maybe a couple of these players, especially, you know, one or two of the imports, that, you know, things haven't quite gone the way they'd hoped with their move to, you know, sunny Queensland. Maybe it's not going the way they'd hoped and maybe they would be happy to take a move back home. I'm just well, I'm just speculating here, but somebody's got to, like, something's got to change right now. And I, I'm just, maybe it is through changing a visa. Before we get to Joe Shea, I think was League Two Player of the Year. So he might have been from League Two, but he was the best player, I think voted the best player in that league last year. But I do think you're right. Something does need to change. And it's it's very difficult in the A-League context to actually make those sort of changes on the fly because it's a salary cap-driven league. And if you do offer a payout of some type to, an, to a player, that counts towards a salary cap. So you do have to find players who are willing to move on. And a lot of these players who've come from the UK, they did only make the move three, four months ago. And it was probably a big move for all of you. Think about it. they brought young families out here, probably thinking we're going to settle out here in Australia for the next couple of years, make our living out here, and potentially stay here beyond that. So to think, do they really want to go back to the UK six months later? They might, they might not, but it's it's probably in their court, really, which is not really, not the case you want if you're Robbie Fowler or Brisbane Raw trying to make these changes, which you think they do need to make in terms of more creativity in the squad. It may very well be down to the players, whether they want to move on or not, it may not be in their hands. Yeah, look, that's things. And also, as well, we're talking about players that, you know, maybe a bit harsh to designate as a lower league player. You look at someone like Tom Aldridge as well. He, even though he's owned by uh, League Two Berries, you know, he, 
Well, Barry. Can't remember which side he's. Um, it might have been Barry. He was online at Motherwell. He was online at Motherwell last exactly, year. That's the point I was going to make. And obviously, the Scottish Premier League is good enough for the Golden Boy Tom Rogic. So, and so, like I said, that's a that's a fair level. So, look at the end of the day. But yeah, I think that's where I don't think there's any Australian players yet. Unless you might sleep one coming back back home from from Europe or um, or Asia. Other than that. I think, um, yeah, I think it might be a case of you may need to move one or two of these visa players along to be able to, you know, fit a new piece of the puzzle, puzzle to um, to make it work. So, yeah, but I agree, with Scott. There is going to be difficulty, you know, you know some of these foreign these foreign players moving them on unless it's their choice. Probably easier to move an, an Australian-based player on as well. I think I think A League January transfer. It's a lot of it's the whole mutual termination thing where a player leaves one club and an hour and a half later they're announced that another rival club, that's probably an easier way if you think about it. If, if you're looking to create room in the salary cap, if, you, if there's an Australian-based player in the squad who doesn't fit into the plans going forward, that might be a way to create an opening, which might be an easier one than moving one of these guys, one of the British or the visa players on. Okay, so let's pivot a little bit here. I want to talk about the possibility of maybe, you know, what What are the Raw going to do, assuming that this is a squad that uh, Fowler's going to stick with for the next four or five months? And he was asked in the press conference on Friday night, is it time for is change with the squad? And this is what he had to say. Well, from our point of view, yeah, of course, we've just got to continue. You know, we've got to continue um, you know, creating chances. We've got to continue to play, uh, moving the ball, and you know, move the ball at pace and, uh, you know, move the opposition about. Um, I mean that's what it is. I mean we can't sell. Yeah. We're not doing too bad in terms of that. Uh, but look, you know, it, it, games are won by by goals. You know, games are won by you know players you know creating something out of nothing. We're not we're not getting that, so we're lacking on that front. But you know we'll uh, we'll address it. Will there be changes? Look, you know it's it's obviously too early to say. Uh, you know we'll address that in the next few days. You know we'll go through the video. You know the the, the good points, the bad points. Uh, you know um, I think we've got a lot to talk about. All right, so he had that to say, and this is also where I wanted to bring in a listener contribution that we got from a Mr. James Gray, a frequent emailer. In, and, you know, if you, if you do want to send in any emails, brisbanefootballreview at gmail.com, as long as you tell me just how much you love hearing my voice, and I hope it's as much as I love hearing my voice. <laughs> That's not happened for years. Shameless. Absolutely shameless. All right, so he emailed in with four points, and we'll go through them quickly. First of all, style of play. Style of play uh, causing problems in both attack and defense. It leaves them open for counter-attacking goals, and uh, the players aren't good enough to open defenses. Would you like to see them switch to a a counter-attacking style like what we saw from Western United, from Sydney FC, maybe a little bit more of a ruthless side? Scott? I don't mind the the, um, possession style of game and keeping the ball. I just think they have to be more clinical and creative in that front third ball having it. And that's probably the difference between, think back to the really good Brisbane Raw sides, and this one, when the Raws had that possession in years gone by, they'd make the most of it. And if they had that sort of possession, and you think back to the Ampost Cogley days, if they had that sort of possession they had Friday night, it would have been a 4 or 5 nil result for Brisbane because they would have opened up a whole bunch of opportunities and created some goals on the end of it. So I'd like, I think it's more about finishing off the work and having that creativity in the front third. I will also say, in terms of the dominance of the game, stuff that's been thrown around the last couple of weeks, I thought Western United really did control the game. They got their goal. And then they were really content to say, right, we're going to sit back here. We're going to absorb pressure 
on a hot, humid night, and we're just not going to let you do anything. And I thought they really did control the game. But for Brisbane, I'm perfectly comfortable with them having a lot of possession. They've just got to do more with it. I can I can live with that, that counter-attacking style on the road. But at home, if, if, that, if that was a Brisbane, like what Western United did, even, if, even with a 2-0 win, if that's what they did at, at Suncorp Stadium, I could bet you bomb dollar that there will be there will be fans out there screaming, saying this is not great football. Despite the result, you know, you know that they need to be that need to, you know sort of have more intent possession and you know and sort of dominate that way. I, I think you know on the road, absolutely no problems with it. But to give you know, to give up 70 percent possession at home, I tell you what, you, you you'd annoy a lot more fans than you know making making sort of you know making good thing out of it. John Alusi was criticised at times for playing two counter attacking on the at home, so yeah. that's probably a good point. But he also had the players for that as well, and you know you had those guys like Brandon Barello who were very very good at hitting teams on the break. So uh, maybe it is just the right horses for courses. Because the other thing James mentions as well, James emailer James, um, he wants to see a little bit more room for O'Donovan or and uh, in man or Dylan Wenzel Halls to get into a little bit of space and. He's right. Like these guys are finding themselves getting crowded out at the moment, and they do need to a little bit more room to operate. I just, I think they need to operate with a little bit more pace and urgency rather than anything else. Because what really frustrated me on Friday night was by about the thirtieth, thirty-fifth minute, I was able to go exact, know exactly where the ball was going to go next, like from my seat. And if it's that obvious to someone like me, how obvious is it? How obvious is it to opposing players and coaches who are watching this and going? Oh, well, I know, okay, ball's going to go there, then it's going to be played back, then it's going to go out wide, then it's going to be switched over to the other side, over to the winger, fullback's going to overlap, and then they're going to try and put a cross in. It's it's that obvious to me, and it's just so repetitive. Put, when you're facing a side like Western United, surely you've got to have those midfielders like a Stefan Moore, Ramadek Bari, just say, all right, you know what, you're going to sit deep, I'm going to shoot from 25 yards out. It's going to sp- uh, spread out that back line a little bit more, and mean that they can't just try and close out every little bit of space for you to try and play through. I think I think that's what it comes down to. It's just it's just more more creativity. I guess even more instinct. I think exactly the best the best way the best way you go break up the you know, basically the ten men behind the ball is you start taking pop shots on thirty yards out. And if you get a reflection or you get a lucky goal, then all of a sudden it gives or even go close and make the keeper you know force the keeper in a good save. It makes them sort of think of saying, hey, they've got this, this threat. But if they can constantly just pass along the back line, switching and whatnot, you know, outside outside the penalty box, then, you know, occasionally either crossing in or sort of, you know, that sort of that driving run, it's very, very easy, as you said. It's, it's very predictable. I think that's – I don't know whether the Raw have got players capable of really sort of threatening, threatening the keeper or even scoring from, you know, you know 30, 30 – yards out, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's at least something just to keep attacking on the defence and been sort of in mind. Well, I want to see if they have the players to go to a plan B, and the next point James raises is the players. You know, both formations that they've used so far require attacking wingbacks, and he feels like that the Raw haven't actually deployed those attacking wingbacks. You've got an inexperienced centre-back, uh, Jordan Courtney Perkins, who, you know, defensively has done quite a good job for someone with, you know, like, of his age and experience. But then on the other side, you've also got Scott Neville, who look, has his good moments going forward, but I don't think it's consistent enough and doesn't necessarily offer that same sort of cover that you might want. So that, I think, is where the return of Jack Hingett is the key for all of this. That That's going to hopefully open up uh, this side a little bit more and give them that width going forward that they're so sorely lacking. 
yeah, Hingert was quite good in the year, so we'll talk about that later on. But they've tried plenty of players in the, the wing-back position. You think about, obviously, Scott Neville, Jordan Courtney Perkins played there at the weekend. I mean, we've seen Jake McGing had, had a, a run at the start of the year on the right-hand side. He's got an opportunity. I think Jai Ingham's played out there at some point. Connor O'Toole's played out there. Isaac Powell's played on the left as well. So they've tried plenty of players. I'm just not sure that it's they've got that right combination. Scott Neville got four quite a lot on Friday night and did get a lot of crosses in towards the back post. It's a shame that none there wasn't anyone there to get on the end of them because some of the crosses you put in were, were quite effective. There's just no one on the end of them. But I do think the fullbacks, the wingbacks is something the Raw do really need to look at. And I like John Courtney Perkins as a player. I think he's got a big future in the game. I just don't think it's going to be at wingback. I think he needs to move into that central two or three, however you want to play it. And, and either Jack Hingert, Conor O'Toole, Isaac Powell, or somebody else is going to have to, to play that wing-back role to be a bit more attacking. As much as Jordan Courtney Perkins gets forward, it's not his game to put crosses in. He's trained as a defender all his life, and he should probably be playing there. Yeah, look, if, if what we saw in, in the uh, youth game on um, on Saturday, and we'll, we'll cover that in the next segment. But if that's what sort of hit you for, Jack Hingert's going to bring, um, I think that might be a ray of hope. Whether, whether they can actually fit both Scott Neville and Jack Hingett, which would require one of them to play on the left, um, which would push, say, uh, Jordan Courtney Perkins into that the sort of the centre-back part during uh, Tom Aldred, um, that remains to be seen. But, um, but, yeah, no, I think, yeah, Jack Hingett, I think, is experienced. So, and doing that, that you know, running wing-back sort of you know, role, I think that'll, that'll be a great help going forward. Yeah, and I do, and I do also think that overall... Like, and I get, and it's dangerous to judge things off Instagram, but he's looking pretty fit as well. Like the work that he's doing to try and get himself back from that ACL injury, I think he's going to, you know, go for the old cliche line of being fitter than ever. Oh, you never, never know, right? He's looked quite good in the one youth game that we've seen him play here. So he's, it seems to me like he's on the right path. We'll talk about that in the next segment. We did also see Adam that Scott Neville did play at left wing back a couple of times earlier in the season as well. So there is that option that if, if Jack Hingert comes back in on the right, you might be able to move Scott Neville over to the left, although he is all right-footed. But he did pass by that role. There we go. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, for that email, James. We did appreciate you giving us uh, something extra to uh, talk about without an A-League game to preview later on. Um, he had two more points, but it's basically the same sort of stuff that we'd already covered, you know, talking about what's the best formation and the players to be brought in. And, I think we all agree, like, give George Mells a run. I think the midfield uh, needs to be more creative. Whether it's George Mells or potentially um, one of the other young players who played at the weekend, <laughs> there does need to be an addition of creativity in the midfield. Definitely. All right, we're going to go let Adam cough up a lung, and we're going to come back and talk about what was a much more successful Saturday for the Brisbane Roar right after this. You're listening to the Brisbane Football Review. We'll be back after this. And welcome back to the Brisbane Football Review. It's James Scott and Adam here on this rare Monday recording session. We're trying to get into the Christmas spirit. So let's talk about something that's a little bit more merry than the first two segments and a very successful Saturday for the Brisbane Raw that we're going to go through chronologically. So we'll lead off with the Y-League side recording a massive 5-1 win over Adelaide up at Redcliffe on uh, Saturday morning, Adam. Yeah, very, very warm Saturday morning. But, um, yeah, look, it's good to see um, it's good to see Brisbane Raw, the, at least the youth side, uh, they really, um, they're really flying at the moment. Um, 
uh, as I said in the uh, post game show on Saturday, it's more than it's more. They did have four overage players um, playing or four A League contracted players in that side, but look, you, you can't take it away from the rest five. of the players. It's five. Oh, yes, five, including Aaron Ridden. Ah, yes, Aaron Ridden, of course. Um, yeah, but uh, look, five one Mersin Maravich with a hat trick. Uh, George Mills and uh, Joy Ingham also. Being on in on the goals, so yeah, look, they're flying at the moment, and I reckon they're a very, very good shot at uh, at least getting to the grand final again. Yeah, so, so after the uh, yeah after the um lack of a, lacking attacking intent we saw on the Friday night, it was a tr- it was a treat to watch the young raw play on Saturday morning because gee, they created a whole bunch of chances and they they were clearly out there to really prove a point, and the the raw brass were all there for the first time this year. Robbie Fowler was there, Shane Stefanuno was there, Tony Grant. Darren Davies, David Pura, they were all there watching the young raw play, and you'd have to imagine they liked what they saw with a couple of the players that were playing, including the young guys. Mirza Muradovic scored a really nice hat-trick. And in general, they just played some really good football. I thought the midfield played quite well as well. I thought George Mells was really, really busy in everything that he did. He was around the field everywhere. He was playing, at times he was playing deep midfield, then he would move into the attacking midfield area. He was all over the place, and I thought they played some really good football, and at the moment, they do look like the team to beat in this competition. And it did also, from my vantage point, which was following it on Twitter, uh, it, it did seem like it was a case of the raw. Obviously, like uh, Hingit had a really good game as well, coming in from the oh, as he rehabs his knee injury, and also it's just a case of having that extra quality of the A League contracted players. Yeah, Jack Hingit was really, really good. It's the first time I've seen him play since he did his ACL back in January, I think it was, in the A League, and he was really, really bright and right from the offset too because he set the penalty up in the second minute with a really good, with a surging run down the right and he was brought down and that kind of summed up his game because it happened again probably about the same time in the second half. I think it happened in the first five minutes. Again, he got forward, created another opportunity and a second penalty and he was really, really good and you could see his experience out there, the way he was, he was leading the side around the field in terms of giving advice and instructions on where to play, where to play the ball and all those sorts of things. He and Macklin Frank actually were the two most vocal in that on on um, Saturday morning. But jacking it was really, really good. I think it seemed like they were playing it by ear almost. After the second drinks break, after about 70, 75 minutes, they were they had young Ramazani warming up. It's like, when is Jack going to be taken off? And I think they got to about 75, 80 minutes. Like, all right, we'll try and get him through the full 90. And I think he succumbed to a bit of cramp five minutes before the end. But he looks like he's pretty close to back are going to be pretty close to being ready to play in the next couple of weeks in the A-League based on that evidence. Yeah, look, absolutely. I think, um, yeah, what, yeah, he hit it after the match. Uh, we caught up with him very quickly, you know, off off air. Um, that, yeah, no, it was just cramp. So I expect him to play 90 minutes against Melbourne City on Saturday. And if, if he gets through that all fine, you know, I'd say that he that he probably, you know, will, will start, you know, very, very shortly. But, um, yeah, look, also as well, I want to sort of, like we were talking about all the uh, older players as well, but uh, the two substitutes that came on, um, obviously Keegan Yalchich and Eli Adams, um, they were very, very good when they came off the bench. Um, they, and they really added another layer to this, this youth team. So it's not just, just a side, just, you know, benefiting off the experience of the uh, senior players in the side. It's these younger players that come through MP, the MPL system. Obviously, uh, Keegan Yalchich, uh, under-17 New Zealand World Cup player, so... He's obviously, you know, there's a bit of talent about him. But, uh, yeah, this is a very, very good team. And I guess also as well, I think it's going to be fun watching not only in this competition, but I think MPL Queensland, they keep the side together. They, um, I reckon they may be a threat to, you know, maybe push the top teams in MPL. 
Can you not steal uh, uh, material from our NPL preview, which we're going to release in about a month or so? <laughs> Uh, I'll try not to, but <laughs> yeah. Oh, so Adam said it here, so I'll say it on the season preview show, James. All right, then it'll be like uh, two completely different ideas. That sounds good to me. Absolutely. I do think Yelchich was really good when he came. When he does, he looks a real player at this level in terms of his creativity. When he came on, he was really, really impressive. And if you're looking, at, I don't, I'm, it's a long shot, but he might be something you think, okay, we might bring him in to train with the A-League side, get him acclimated with that group and, Potentially, if it doesn't improve in the next few weeks, maybe at the end of the Y League season, you could bring him in and give him a chance off the bench. But I would imagine he would be one that would have impressed Robbie Fowler coming off the bench. And I would probably think he might be one who, if you're looking about bringing players into the extended squad training first, he might be one of those. Yeah, absolutely. Like There has to be an opportunity for these guys to come into the A League side if these results continue. Because if you got... like. Not to go back to that last thing, but if you're going, if you're Rory Valley, you're not going to wind up just wanting to go back again and again over the same players. You're going to have to try and do something to make those changes. And look, putting in a performance like that in front of him, in front of Tony Grant, in front of Shane Stefanudo, that's the sort of stuff that is going to get you noticed. Oh, yeah. And that, look, I think they would have left um, AJ Kelly Park uh, suitably sort of, not use the word impressed, but I think they'd be satisfied at least that you know, there are options you know, beyond the current uh, senior squad that they have. But, um, yeah, look, um, there wasn't really, like I said, we, we took about all those players that we have talked about. Like, I think they're from top to bottom. I think they all they all perform very, very well. And this is a very, very good side. I think it's almost, I'd say, almost better than last year's side. All right. Well, that's a good sign for the Raw. Uh, they are on top of group... Sorry, I just have to restart my run sheet. There we go. They're on top of group A in the Y League... Uh, standings at the moment, which possibly sets them up for a grand final run. We'll just have to wait and see, but uh, Melbourne Victory somehow beat Melbourne City in the Youth League derby. How? I can't, I can't believe Victory is second after the fact that the Raw put a lot, put six goals past them, five or six goals past seven. them in the first game of the season. Seven, thank you, Adam. They put a bunch of goals past them in round one, and Victory looked like it was going to be another season where they're just not at the races, but they've won three games since then. So they, maybe they're better than we gave them credit for, which is interesting because the Roar of that's probably the most comfortable game the Roar have played all season, and Victory are now second on the table. I think I think you have to say almost for City they're probably out of it now. They're an, they're a team obviously they're a higher profile academy because it's all City Football Group and they bring in players from around the country all the rest of it. But the results just aren't there for them this year, and I think they're probably out of it at this point. It's probably is a battle between the Roar and the Victory to see who will who will win Conference A, and right now the Raw look like they're the clear favourite. Absolutely. And we can only hope they're going to go on with that. All right. We're now going to move on to later Saturday and uh, go to Lions Stadium where the Raw W League side also recorded a win. It didn't come easy, though. 3-2 over Adelaide United, thanks to a brace from Hayley Rasso and uh, a goal from India Page Riley. But Rasso was the star of the show, wasn't she, Adam? She was. Um, she was in, involved in all three goals. And, um, yeah, the, when when um, when they needed her the most, she, she performed. Um, you know, that the game-winning goal, like, you know, go back and watch it. If, if anyone who's missed the – who actually didn't see the game you know, on KO or on the uh, My Football Live app, because it, it was a very, very good goal. You know, great you know, great pass by Nelly Tatum. We've got, we've, got, we've got to give her credit. But, yeah, no, hey, Rasso, she – she could be the most important player on this side of the moment if the if the Raw can continue to go forward and climb the uh, ladder in the women in the W League. 
Scott, what was your takeaway? Yeah, look, Haley Razzo was probably the Brewers' best player once again. But I actually want to give credit to um, Riley Bazin and Alira Toby. Riley Bazin had the two assists in the first 15 minutes, playing probably in a more wide right role with India Page Riley, playing more central, as Adam pointed out to me on Saturday afternoon, because I didn't even notice it. But Riley Bazin was playing further out to the right and had two assists in that first 15 minutes, cutting the ball back. So that worked quite well. And I thought when Alira Toby came on the field in the second half, she looked a lot better as well. And it was Alira Toby who started that counter-attack for the third goal, which obviously Nat... Natalie Tatham and Hayley Razzo finished off. So I do think those they played quite well as a team in the front third. But Hayley Razzo is playing some playing really well. It's just great to see her back playing of that football. We've talked about it before. The injury to her back last year just didn't allow her to show that form because she was only back right at the end of the season. But right now she's back to her to her best form, and it's great to watch. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to see her back and. Well, the effort to put in that run on what was a really hot, really uncomfortable afternoon, uh, it, it shows it how much uh, more fit she is. I'm sorry, I can't speak at the moment. How much, uh, yeah, how much fitter she is and how much her conditioning has improved now that she's over that injury. Look, and also as well, at that time of the game, um, it, it was a case of when Adelaide um, pulled back that, that equaliser through uh, Mally Weber, who... I thought was probably the best player for Adelaide. Um, she she was very she was very very good um, good on that. So, but uh, yeah, it was a sort of almost against the run of play because it looked like if, if anyone was going to score a winning goal, it was actually looked like Adelaide with momentum. So to sort of be able to, to counterattack and score off that, um, that was that was a mighty effort to um, to get back and actually take all three points and a very important win I think in the um, in the grand scheme of the season I could say. Well, we know what the three of us think. Let's hear what Jake Goodship thinks. I think we come a bit uh, complacent in terms of the, uh, I off the gas. Um, in second gear, forward cruising to half time, maybe three, four nil up. However, you know we are um, enemies. We were frustrated. Started bickering at the referee, and it, you know it got into our heads and affected our performance. So that's something we addressed at half time to come out in the second half. Okay, so Jake Goodship, obviously pretty happy with how things are going now. And it seems like the Raw W is like, they've really responded to the way, uh, after what was a pretty slow start to the season. Yeah, look, after after the first 15 minutes, you thought, oh, wow, this, this is the Raw side that we know that they pretty much built, you know, the season. And they came out hard, but there's still a bit of a question mark about their defence. Um, yeah, I, th- I thought for the first the first goal that Adelaide got back through Mary Fowler, Exceptional talent. You know, she's probably going to be one of the best players you know, in the league going forward in the next few years. But to be left alone to shoot from that from 25 yards out and beat Mackenzie Arnold to be a worry. And also as well, you felt that the second goal for Mallory Weber was was also coming as well. So defensively, I'm, there's still a few question marks about that. But if that attacking machine starts rolling, um, yeah, they're going to be unstoppable. Like we, one, like one one of the goals that didn't happen was. Um, was the uh, Katrina Gorin who scored from 40 yards out if it weren't for a uh, fantastic diving save from Sarah Willsey, that which would have made all the highlight rules. So that could have been game over right there. So it's if, if the attacking side of the Raw goes goes to plan, they they can they can match with anyone. But defensively, there's still some questions. Yeah, Adam mentions a goal that almost happened. There was another one I thought because Mary Fowler really should have scored. About yeah, yes. 10 minutes before halftime, she had a clear chance. She went around Mackenzie Arnold and then sent her shot over the bar from really close range. It was one of those which was far, far easier to score than missed. If that does go in, Adelaide maybe do go on and win the game because after the drinks break, 
the moment. The first drink break in the first half of the game completely changed from the Raw being in complete control to Adelaide having the better of the game. And that continued on right up until they got their equaliser. And then after that, obviously, Adam mentioned the Raw did did wake up again and get the win the game. But the Adelaide at 2-0 down did come back into the game. And if Mary Fowler did get her second, it could have been a completely different game. Definitely. Either way, that win, good enough to get the Raw up to fifth place on the ladder, one point behind Canberra United, who have played an extra game as well. And I think they're going to be in with a pretty good shot when they travel to face Melbourne Victory Friday night away after going down in the opening round of the season. What do you think, Adam? If that game actually happens. Um, obviously with the, exactly with the what I was going to say. Was that? Yeah. Exactly yeah. what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah, no, but if it does happen, um, yeah, important game for the Raw uh, away from home because that will that will really put them into the top four. Uh, so, so yeah, so that's the important game. If it happens, um, it may not happen at the at the usual kickoff. It may be later. Um, we'll have to keep an eye on that on whether you know that game goes ahead because of the uh, current weather situation. All right, well, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. Obviously, it's only Monday night as we're recording, so keep an eye on our social channels and probably the Roar as well, because I'm guessing they'll get the information before we do about whether or not it's going ahead, but... I hope so. Tr- <laughs> <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think they're relying on us for anything other than a few uh, chuckles here and there. <laughs> yeah, if, if, we're, if we're breaking the news about that, something's really gone wrong. All right. Well, I think that's going to be it for this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Adam. Thanks, James. Thanks, Scott. Good to talk to you once again. See, yep. Talk to you all next week. Definitely. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Enjoy the football this weekend. We've still got uh, W League to get on with, so make sure you get behind the side there. And we'll be back next Saturday. And Youth League on Saturday as well. Yes, can't forget that. And perhaps most importantly, we also uh, should say this is going to be our last recording before Christmas. So for all intents and purposes, Merry Christmas, everyone. Yeah, Merry Christmas to all our listeners. And thanks for uh, listening to us, for putting up with us for uh, the year. Definitely. We will be back uh, next week with the special that we're actually about to go and record now. It's the Brisbane Raw Decade in Review. So we've got to go record that. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been the Brisbane Football Review. Enjoy the football this weekend.